Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. My name's Jason, uh, for those that don't know me, uh, and I have the honour of opening God's holy word with you tonight. Uh, We continue our series in the book of Acts, uh, and tonight we're going to be in the second chapter of the book of Acts. So you might like to turn there now uh, to chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, then uh, use the one in front of you or the one behind you. It's on page 910. We're going to be doing a lot of Bible reading tonight, which is great. Just let me know once you've found it. Carl wins. Great. Uh, great. But what I want you to do is bookmark it and, and just put it, put it away for a moment because what I want to do is read to you a portion of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and it's going to be chapter 22, verse 54. You don't have to turn there. The words are going to be on the screen. Tonight in the book of Acts, uh, we're going to be looking at what's regarded as one of the greatest sermons ever preached. A sermon that has changed the world. Preached by one of Jesus' closest disciples, Peter. But before we get to his sermon, we need to uh, just visit another circumstance of Peter's, a decision of Peter's, uh, that is also significant. And so let me read to you uh, in the book of Luke. So Jesus has just been betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples. Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know you. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Men, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know him, and I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. How he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And Peter, he went out and wept bitterly. Fifty days before his famous sermon, Peter, he had committed Judas-like betrayal and denied knowing the Lord Jesus, not just once, but three times. Yet he is a man Though he denied Jesus in front of the Jews, he would now boldly proclaim to them the powerful message that Jesus was Israel's longed-for Messiah. And salvation and forgiveness of sin was only found in the Lord Jesus. Now, I must confess, in the lead-up to tonight, I felt somewhat intimidated uh, by the fact that my sermon is going to be on the greatest sermon of all time. So thanks a lot, Pastor Carl. Um, (laughs) But it does beg the question, how do you preach a sermon on a sermon? Uh, There's a couple ways that you could possibly do it. I could just 
I could just read the sermon and we could get going a bit early tonight, go to Lakeside and enjoy some food together, but it's, that's pretty lazy and I'll get in trouble. Um, another reason is that we, we could um, uh, just, uh, I could teach on how to preach a good sermon because it does do that. It's a brilliant sermon and so, but that's not going to be applicable for everyone and, and I don't really have the credentials to do that. Or another way is we could just simply study it together and to try and understand what Peter is teaching about God. And that's exactly what we're going to do tonight. We're going to be students of the Apostle Peter. And here's what we know so far. In the time between Peter's denial and his sermon, Jesus has hung on a cross, died the most horrific death, He's victoriously risen from the dead. He's gloriously ascended to heaven. And the Holy Spirit has been sent by the Lord Jesus. And it has filled the apostles. And they've been proclaiming the mighty works of God in known languages. Miraculous. And what's the result? We're going to see that it's left some marveling and some mocking. So let's look at our bookmark passage in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start from verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What do all these tongues mean? But others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, 
or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing sermon. This inaugural sermon is full of such authority and power conviction. It's the first sermon since the coming of the Holy Spirit. There's a few reasons why uh, his sermon is so brilliant. Uh, it's, like, uh, it's simple. Uh, it's likely that uh, Luke just summarized this sermon, um, and it was much longer, but it is very concise and simple. And I think I've got a few dot points up on the screen for you too. Um, it's scriptural. It's completely backed up by God's word. It's Christ-centered. It's convicting. It's practical. It's, it's relevant to the listeners. These are all marks of a great sermon, but there are three specific aspects of his sermon that I want to focus on that I think are significant for his listeners, but also us today. And these three aspects that somewhat redeem Peter's three denials of Jesus are his theology of God. And theology shouldn't scare us, it should excite us. Our sermons should absolutely be rich in the truth about the knowledge of God. The very word, uh, theology, theos meaning God and logos meaning word, it literally means a word about God. And that is what sermons should proclaim. It shouldn't proclaim man's prosperity. Um, it should be a word about God. And so the first theological lesson that we're going to learn from Peter is his lesson and clarity on the church. Peter, full of authority and power of the Holy Spirit, he takes the lead. And he clarifies the unusual events at Pentecost and how they're ushering in a new era, an era of the church. 
an era spoken of in Scripture, and it was now becoming a reality. First, he does rebuke uh, the accusations of drunkenness. Uh, he, uh, he says, of course it's not drunkenness because it's only uh, 9 a.m. That would go against the religious norm, and so he's saying, that don't be ridiculous. It's absolutely not the case. He then immediately turns his attention uh, to the Scripture. The Scriptures. He doesn't go away for a week and study the Scriptures and tr try to prepare the sermon. No, he, he knows God's Word, and he immediately goes into action to defend the faith, to proclaim Jesus. And so he explains how the events of the Holy Spirit was part of God's great plan for humanity. Peter quotes the prophet Joel, uh, who spoke of a time when the Spirit would be poured out in Joel chapter 2. Verse 17 of uh, our text it says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And what are these last days? Well, it says in verse 20, it's the time in the lead up to the great and magnificent coming of the Lord. And we know that this is the second coming of the Lord when he will come and judge the living and the, and the dead. And in fact, this is a time that we still live in right now. We do greatly anticipate the coming of the Lord. Uh, this is significant uh, because once upon a time, uh, God the Spirit was not an indwelling spirit, but rather he manifested his presence in various physical ways, uh, it was in clouds, in fire, in a bush, in the, in the holy of holies, in the tabernacle, in, in the temple. His glory filled the place physically. The Holy Spirit could come and could depart from the nation of Israel. And he would do that depending on their obedience and their dependence on him. It's sort of a case of, you don't need me, so I don't need to be present with you anymore. And he did depart for good for a long time, and that is until Pentecost. This activity of the Holy Spirit was during a time under the old covenant of the law. But the prophecy of Joel promises a time to come when the Spirit would come like never before. Peter's saying what the prophet Joel said about the pouring out of the Spirit, it's happening now. We're in it. And Jesus was, has ushered in a new covenant, and that covenant is the covenant of grace. In the Gospel of John, we, re we recall uh, Jesus saying in chapter 14, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Chapter 16 of John says, Nevertheless, I tell you, the truth is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost changed everything. The Holy Spirit was now a marker of a genuine believer and Christian convert. Peter's lesson is that this unique and awesome event at Pentecost was foretold by the prophet Joel and it was being fulfilled. And the mark of the new church age was to be the people of the Holy Spirit who indwelled them. 
The apostles, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they were agents to proclaim Jesus as God and Messiah so that people would repent, be cleansed with forgiveness, and be filled with the same Holy Spirit that they had. The Holy Spirit is no longer absent from a nation. He's present in the individual who repents and is renewed. The indwelt Christian now joins the apostles, although not the same authority, but they join the apostles on the mission to proclaim this good news found only in Jesus Christ. You have purpose. You have a purpose and a responsibility like the apostles in Acts. Did you know that? You have a responsibility. Have you ever struggled with a sense of worth? Or ever felt confused about your spiritual gifting or how you fit in a church community? Well, make no mistake, you have a calling on your life, whether you know it yet, whether you acknowledge it or like it or not. And it's to be a bold proclaimer of who Jesus is and testify to the saving power and cleansing forgiveness that can only be found through him. Peter not only clarifies that it's all part of God's definite and foreknowledge plan, um, but he also confirms that Jesus who, who he, was who he said he was, and his earthly ministry was a prophecy now starting to be filled, fulfilled. So Peter's theology on the church uh, it helps us understand that it's a new era of the church, a new covenant of grace, a new people of the Holy Spirit, and a new mission to proclaim Jesus. And the second theological lesson of Peter is his confirmation about Christ. Peter now inserts Jesus uh, into the picture as the main subject of his sermon and the prophetic text of Joel. Uh, verse 22 in our text, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus, who did mighty signs and wonders in your midst, you crucified him. Peter is presenting the truth about who Jesus was and still is to this day. He was sent from God the Father to minister according to his plan. Peter refers to King David's Psalms. Uh, Psalm 16, to attest to his resurrection, and of Jesus' resurrection, and Psalm 110, to attest to his exaltation to the right hand of God. And David did, didn't speak of himself, as some might have presumed, but it was prophetic of Jesus, a descendant of David, the one God promised to enthrone at his right hand. Peter also teaches that God's triune, that God is both three persons, but one God. Verse 33, it says, The Father gave the Holy Spirit to Jesus, and following Jesus' ascension, Jesus then sent forward the Spirit to humanity. There's this beautiful relationship and harmony between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, working as one, but distinctly individual persons. Peter has the correct knowledge of Jesus. And makes no apology in saying, in verse 36, Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Christ. It's absolutely essential to have the biblically correct understanding of who Jesus is. Now, my wife Lauren 
uh, her stepdad, um, is a very well-known surgeon in Adelaide, uh, in Australia, and in fact, the whole world. He's very, he's quite famous. Um, he's a professor in his field. He's been, uh, uh, he's been in this profession for over 40 years. He's established successful clinics and practices and foundations. He's operated on Arabian royalty. He's dined with the Queen numerous times. <laughs> Says she's a lovely lady. <laughs> he holds many prestigious titles and honours due to his remarkable life. Uh, he's a companion of the Order of Australia, or uh, we call it AC. <clears throat> And to explain that more, we've, we've got uh, knighthood. We've got knights and dames in Australia, believe it or not. And below that, we have ACs. And then we have numerous other um, honours as well. Uh, as well as that, he was titled recently South Australian of the Year for 2018. He's a very brilliant man. Now, great offence can be made to a gentleman like this if you were to, for example, to call him doctor and not professor, or instead of being a companion of the Order of Australia, you just said he had a medal of the Order of Australia, which was the lowest rank of those prestigious awards, or even just to call him a candidate for South Australian of the Year would be offensive because he was it. He has titles of honour and they must be acknowledged respectfully. And I hope you can kind of see where I'm going with this because Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the sender of the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity, saviour of the world, exalted at the right hand of God, interceding for us with God. And he is so much more that he demands the correct understanding of who he is, Amen. the appropriate recognition of who he is, and absolute surrender to his authority with our allegiance. Do you have a high view of Jesus? Or do you have a low view of who Jesus is? In your mind, is he just, was he just a good moral person? Was he even... A foolish person? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The one in whom we find forgiveness of sin and gain eternal life. Eternal life in God's presence. And this is through repentance of sin and, and living in submission to the call of proclaiming this good news. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we're in Peter's classroom, right? His classroom of theology, and we've learnt about the church and Christ, how Christ is sent from God the Father, fully God himself, the sender of the Holy Spirit, both Lord and Christ. Now we look at his teaching on Christianity. Verse 37. Now when they, the crowd, heard this, Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter's sermon not only interprets what has happened, the events at Pentecost, it causes something to happen. 
His listeners were at one point asking what was going on and, and now they're asking, what do we do? They were broken and in need. Some translate this verse uh, saying that they were pierced to the heart, which reminds me of a passage that we've, we, I think we're familiar with, Hebrews 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is powerful to change a human's life, to make them a new creation, a Christian. Peter's method in preaching uh, was through conviction of sin. And it's so essential to do that. So the listener is aware of the offence of their sin. Peter says this, Jesus, you crucified. But there's good news. God raised him from the dead. Peter teaches a really interesting and important lesson on God's providence here. Providence is um, a recently studied providence. Um, it's a Latin, it's derived from a Latin word, providere, which means to foresee. And so although Jesus' death was their doing, and they're fully responsible of, for it, it was part of God's definite plan and his foreknowledge. God, God's plans haven't been undermined, and nothing snuck past him. God divinely permitted this death of Christ in his providence and raised him from the dead, exalted him at the right hand of God. And Jesus is now the mediator of the new covenant and pours out salvation and the Holy Spirit. As I said, I recently had to write an essay on the doctrine of God's providence. And it was both fascinating and confidence-building, knowing that every moment in existence has passed through the knowledge and permission of God. You can take confidence in that. You know, we may never know really why things happen, this side of eternity, but, but knowing that it's part of God's plan and his control means we can have peace and we can have a level of assurance that it's meaningful and it's part of God's plan. Now, of course, Peter is specifically condemning them guilty of killing Jesus, but in doing so, he raises the issue of humanity in need of saving. And the only way to be saved is by calling on the name of the Lord. And we see that in the text from Joel. Peter is saying that the reason to repent and follow Jesus is because, yes, he is fully God and therefore deserving of our devotion, but also because cleansing needs to be made for the offence of sin that is preventing them to be right before God. The powerful proclamation of Jesus crucified, resurrected and exalted, that's what pierces the core of a person who's receptive to the Holy Spirit's conviction. It brings a person to the end of themselves saying, what shall we do? And Peter does answer that question in verse 38. Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Pastor Timon once gave his definition on repentance, saying, repentance is a change in your posture towards Christ. Whereas once you lived in defiance to Christ, now you live in submission to him. Let me say that again. Repentance is a change in your posture towards Christ. Whereas once you lived in defiance to Christ, you now live in submission. To be a true follower of Jesus, a genuine Christian, one must flee from the sin they once walked in. Call on the name of the Lord with repentance, receiving forgiveness, and then walk in the ways of Christ, obeying the instruction of the Holy Word and being guided by the now indwelling Holy Spirit. This is all great teaching of Peter on the theology of the church, Christ and Christianity. And the book of Acts testifies to the power of the Holy Spirit at work. I hope you can see that. The Holy Spirit fell upon God's chosen agents of the gospel. The Holy Spirit gave them the power to proclaim and testify to the mighty works of God. The Holy Spirit is the engine that drives the church. The Holy Spirit was the gift that Jesus sent to his followers so his ministry would continue and have even more impact on the world. The Holy Spirit is available for humanity because of the work of Christ and because he victoriously defeated death and was exalted to the right hand of God. The fact that we have the Holy Spirit confirms Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts humanity and becomes the mark of a genuine Christian upon their conversion. Cast your minds back to to Peter in the book of Luke. I can just imagine the state uh, of shame he must have been in. He's so disgracefully denied Jesus three times. He was nowhere to be seen at the cross while Jesus hung on the cross for the sin of humanity. When he heard the good news, though, of Jesus being alive, the hope and joy that he must have felt. The text says that he ran to the tomb, only to find it empty, and he marveled at the miraculous circumstances. And now, 50 days later, he was boldly proclaiming Jesus to those who marveled too. Marvelers and mockers are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the preached word of God, like what Peter has done. Peter is preaching a gospel of grace, of which he has been a recipient to. Oh, the grace of God to transform broken people and to use them profoundly for his glory and honor's sake and for for the sake of humanity's salvation. It is good of us to read the sermon of Peter and the response of the people, and to consider the power of the Holy Spirit that we have already indwelling us as believers or available to us to receive for those who have not yet been pierced to the heart or who have received the grace of God yet. The Holy Spirit is our source of power, and he is always available to us. 
Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is our power source. And he's always available to us, okay? Christian, do you, do you have a correct understanding of your responsibility as the church? Do you have the correct view of the Lord Jesus? Do you need to again be pierced to the heart and broken over your sin? Be cleansed of the burden of sin. Give it to Jesus, who is ready to take it from you. He is fully God, and therefore he is fully able to take that from you. And brothers and sisters who wouldn't call themselves part of the church, a follower of Jesus, certainly not a Christian, have you considered these words of Peter? Are you ready to respond? Like his listeners, verse 41, it goes on to say that of the large crowd Peter preached to, 3,000 people repented, were forgiven of their sin, and therefore they were transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit that would now reside in them, guiding them, helping them, enabling them to also be bold witnesses for the Lord Jesus. The book of Acts is clear. It's clear to confirm the amazing work of the Holy Spirit who transforms the denier into a proclaimer of Jesus. And how will you respond? How are we going to respond? Consider the invitation to be renewed again through confession of sin and the receiving of Christ as Lord and Saviour. You can have confidence today that you will be cleansed from all unrighteousness and be given the righteousness of Jesus to be made right in the sight of God. And you will inherit eternal life with God. I want to invite Lisa and her team to come up and help us respond. I want you to use this time in our response song to consider where you're at with the living God. Don't wait. Please don't overthink it or feel like you need more time to think about it. Come and receive the grace of God today. You can. I don't want to force anything, but if you're feeling led to respond in some way, my encouragement for you is to act on it. Maybe you need prayer tonight, or maybe you just want to talk with someone about what we've talked about and what you've heard tonight, I do want to invite you to talk to the people around you. Ask the, talk to the people that brought you along tonight. Ask questions. Come to the front and talk to pastors and elders and leaders of our church who would love to support you. You know, we're a family here. We're a church family. And so let's be the church to one another in this time responding to God and His Word. And may God be honoured in the way that we respond tonight. Amen. Let's pray together. God, would you plant this word and this teaching deep down within our souls? Holy Spirit, do a work that only you can do in the hearts of all who have received this teaching tonight. God, we want to bless your holy name. Amen.